I, I try to separate the coaching part and the nurturing part. I mean, sometimes I have to mat talk myself to separate the feelings of I'm going to break this kid's heart because I'm not going to put him on mat. I'm Carly Zakin. I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to Skim from the Couch. This podcast is where we go deep on career advice from women who have lived it, from the good stuff like hiring and growing a team to the rough stuff like negotiating your salary and giving or getting hard feedback. We started the skim from a couch, so what better place to talk it all out than where it began on a couch? Today, we have a very, very, very special episode of Skim from the Couch. We are joined by Monica Aldama. In case you do not know this name, I don't even know what you've been watching or what you've been doing. She's the coach of Navarro College Cheerleading <laughs> and has 14 national championships under her belt. We are so, so, so fucking excited to do this interview. Her <laughs> team is the focus of the new Netflix documentary series, Cheer. If you haven't seen it, I just don't know what to say. Stop what you're doing and go watch it. The series defies traditional stereotypes about cheerleading as it follows them through the physical and mental challenges of the sport. My God, what they do is, you got to watch it, also showcases Monica's coaching style and the impact she's had on her athletes on and off the mat. Monica, in case you haven't noticed, we were literally obsessed with the show. <laughs> we cannot wait to talk to you. Welcome to Skimmed from the Couch. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay. So we want to jump in, which is just want to ask you to skim your resume for us. When did you start working? Just kind of walk us through each job you've had. Well, it's not much because I started really young. After I graduated from college, I moved to Dallas for a year and worked at a computer company, but it was really just a job out of college just to put something on the resume. And I really wasn't happy there. And a friend of mine that I had gone to high school with was the assistant baseball coach at the college. And his mother happened to be my cheer coach when I was in high school. So I had helped her some when I was in college. And he called me one day and said that this job was open and that I should apply for it. So I did. It wasn't really something I thought I would ever do. And I was only, I think, 22 when I applied for it. So 25 years later, and I'm still there. <laughs> so there you go. What did you think you were going to be doing? I have a business degree in finance, and then I have my MBA. I mean, when I was in college, I really thought that I wanted to move here and maybe work on Wall Street or do something in the finance industry. That's what I thought I wanted to do, but God had other plans. So I mean, so much better. <laughs> <laughs> you won. Yeah. Everyone in our office has, and everyone we know, is absolutely obsessed with the show. And part of, I think, why it's resonated so much is actually your role in the show specifically. You represent the mentor coach we all wish we had <laughs> in our life. And one of my friends said this to me recently, and I was like, it's a perfect way to describe you. It's like Tammy Taylor and Coach Taylor all in one. <laughs> And I'm very curious, do you see what other people see about your role with these kids? I don't. You know, I mean, we're when we film this documentary, we're just opening up our lives to people. And I mean, I know the impact that I have because these kids tell me. And especially after they're gone, a lot of them reach back out to me and just let me know how much they appreciated me. And a, a lot of times they didn't realize how much that they should have appreciated me at the time, but they really... Uh, learned a lot. So over the years, I think that's why I'm still here because because of the kids and the reassurance that I'm doing something right, you know, in their lives. I'm just there doing my job. I didn't 
really know that this was going to be so big. (laughs) I want to start off before we get into it with just some clarifying questions Mm -hmm. that every time I talk to someone about cheer and I've been asking people and friends, there's a baseline of questions that they want to start off with just from the show. The first one is, do four-year colleges have cheerleading programs that just are not as good or is it a different division? It's a different division. Mm-hmm. We're in a junior college division. And over the years, our division has really dwindled because for one reason, number one, they created what was called an intermediate division where you could do lower level skills. So like the teams that were not able to really compete against us moved down to those levels. If we don't have the highest score, we normally have at least a top three out of the whole competition over the past many, many, well, since we've been winning. And so... A lot, you know, people want to go to a division where they can have a shot at winning. A lot of people jump ship. And so our division is really small now. I have seen online some people confused about that. But because it's so small and people that are not in the cheer world are like, oh, that's all that's all you beat was one or two teams or whatever. We, we just always have the goal of going and getting the highest score there. That way, if people ask, we can say, well, we had the highest score. We beat every team there. Really, that just validates us even more because the division has gotten so small. That's our goal. And we want to go out there and put out the best routine that we can and just get the highest score that we can. The second clarifying question is there's been news after the show aired that the NCA hasn't been so pleased with Netflix following mm-hmm. the show or just the publicity. Is there any update on that part? Yeah. I mean, I, I went to L.A. last week and we were working... 12 hours a day straight. Yeah. So I didn't really have time to get on social media much. But as soon as we got done, I got on the, the van to go back to the airport and my phone had just blown up. People texted me, my social media people tagging me, tagging me in news stories, like actual news stories. And um, the college was calling because we had news reporters showing up to the college about this big story that was breaking about how they had changed the rules and we could no longer do the show and compete. We'd be disqualified. And none of that's true at all. I have a great relationship with NCA and Varsity. They've always been very supportive of me. And what happened with that kind of news that kind of got crazy, they had updated a rule in their stunts, like just some wording, just some verbiage. And so anytime they update anything, they put the date that it's updated. So they put updated January, whatever the day was. Well, and I guess someone decided to go and actually look at the rules, you know, because most people don't dig down deep into the really boring part of the rules, but I always read them all. So there is a clause in there that talks about documentaries and filming and stuff like that. I printed that off last year, gave it to the producer. So I already knew that that clause was in there and it didn't say anything that we couldn't. It just, it's really more so about, you know, they don't want something portrayed as reality yeah, they you know, want fake some guidelines TV. about yeah, it. You know, it just, it's not true at all. I have okay. a great relationship with Varsity, a great relationship with NCA. They would contact me if they had a problem or with any yeah. things. Any updates on what the kids profiles are doing after uh, this show? Because I know we I was just kind of caught Jerry in the hallway and the plan was to go to Louisville. Is that still the, yeah, he's well, back in Navarro, right? Yeah. He went to Louisville in the fall. And that was his dream school. But when he got there, I think he just didn't feel like that was really where he was supposed to be. And so he had reached back out to me a few months ago and just said, hey, I really feel like that I'm supposed to be back at Navarro. And of course, there's always a place for Jerry to be back at Navarro. Morgan came back for a third year. She actually graduated, but she's doing like a dual partnership program with a university that we have a partnership Mm with. And what about uh, Lexi? Lexi, you know, she got kicked off. And the charges against her were dismissed, but she did go to another school in the fall because I, you know, told her she couldn't come back. Um, 
she was cheering there, and she also did not feel like that it was, you know, where she was supposed to be. She finished out school that semester, but she quit cheering in the middle. And her coach and her mother and grandmother all, of course, wanted her back at Navarro. Uh, When they reached back out to me about giving her a second chance, I said, you know, I feel like she's had enough time to reflect on it, learn from it. I mean, I do give people second chances. So she's back and she's just really doing incredible. I think the show was so good for her just to feel the love and support. And just to build her confidence. I mean, her story just breaks your heart when you yes, watch her. Yes, but she's doing great. I have a clarifying question. Yes. You, before coaching, was your level of cheering at the same level as these kids? Oh, no. I mean, keep in mind I'm old. So <laughs> <laughs> what happened over the years is people started putting their kids in all-star cheer from like the age of birth or, you know, three yeah. years old and up. And so these kids became really talented, incredible growing up and being trained. And the whole world of cheerleading changed tremendously since, you know, okay. I was in school until now. And it continues to just push the limits. Cheerleading just in general mm-hmm. is way different because it's a lot harder. Yeah, People my age did not have those kinds okay. of opportunities. You know, this podcast is a career podcast. Mm-hmm. We talk about people as managers. We talk about people when work is tough, how they overcome challenges. And what's so fascinating about the show and reading more and more about you is you could have any job. You are very clearly a really strong COO, CEO. Why I say that is because it's very clear that you break down the information in a quantitative way. You constantly in the show talk about cheering smart and really looking at it from a numbers perspective. And you also are very clear with your expectations and you're tough. I want to understand what's made you stay at Navarro. Do you feel like you are best when you're like the big fish in the small pond or the small fish in the bigger pond? I think the small fish in the bigger pond because you have goals and you always want to move up to the next level and reach the potential of the people around you. But, you know, and I always intended for this to be a temporary stepping stone. I mean, at the time, I just didn't like the job I was in. And I grew up in Corsicana. So, okay, I'll just, we'll go back home. So, you know, it was a good job because I had summers off and I could be a mother. Mm -hmm. Corsicana is a little bit smaller town, so there's not as many opportunities. But I still felt like I was going to move into that finance field at some point. That was really always my goal. And every time I would think about it, it was just hard. I felt like I created this program, like it was my baby. And giving it up was going to be hard. And the attachment to the kids, the longer I was there, I just felt like, like I said, I just felt like it was God's plan that I was there. There's many years I've thought, should I, you know, should I think about next year, you know, moving to a different career, moving? And I just never did. A lot of people that are listening to this a lot of people in our audience think about the decision of, do I go to grad school? Do I get an MBA? Knowing that they might not know what they want to do with it. Mm -hmm. How do you think about your decision to get an MBA now? I'm very happy about that decision. I mean, I wanted to teach some classes at the college, and I needed to have my master's to do that, number one. Do you teach classes outside of I did. I taught algebra for a long time. I just stopped doing that. This is yet another way that shows that we have a different skill set. My life's too crazy at all times, but I did it for a long time, like probably 20 years, and I love education too. So I would, you know, I even considered going back and get my doctorate degree, but I just, the time factor of it was just too much. Yeah, no, I'm very happy about getting my MBA. And I tell these kids all the time, you know, before you have too many responsibilities, go ahead and finish school because you may or may not need it. You don't have to have a degree to be successful. There are plenty of people that do incredible things that don't have a degree. But what if that one job you want is 
the minimum requirements, the degree. It's always harder to go back so when I'm you have curious, kids. Because obviously so many doors are opening, mm-hmm. both to you and to the students. And I think some of those opportunities, I assume, would require them to maybe not finish mm-hmm. tomorrow. What advice would you give them? You know, I think this kind of opportunity is only comes around once in a lifetime. I mean, this is a very rare opportunity to have this kind of exposure. And in this situation, I would tell them, you have to take the opportunity. You know, I mean, I would love for them to all finish school, but there are ways, especially this day and age that I didn't have, which, you know, you could take an online class here or there. I mean, you could take a couple and still manage all sorts of opportunities. So I don't think that they need to miss any opportunity. This could be life-changing for them and take them into a career that they didn't even know would, you know, would be an option for them. And of course, their future is one of my top priorities. I want to get into your management style. Mm-hmm. You talk a lot, and it's clear from the way that the kids react to you that you set expectations. Mm-hmm. How do you actually do that? When someone's on your team, do you give them a list? I think a, a hard thing for newer managers or even for us is how do you set expectations and then how do you hold people to them? Well, you know, we have a big talk at the beginning of the year about expectations and what those are. And they're kids. I have to remind them often. I've learned as I've gone along, you know, because you can't treat everything the same. So kind of deal with every every situation differently, depending on what it is. But, you know, go to class. These are these are easy things. You go to class. And if you don't, we have a simple rule. The whole team runs because it it makes them. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. But but and I've learned that over. Yeah. I mean, I've had different rules before, but that's kind of the thing. The one thing that I have found works the best because they don't want to run because their roommate is asleep. So whereas before they might just walk out and go to class and let their roommate stay in bed, now they're going to make sure that that person Man, is I up. Be so or, mad. <laughs> yes, and they do get mad. If someone's not there yet when class is about to start, they'll start texting them. It just it keeps us all accountable. And like I tell them, I'm the one that gets called in to the athletic director's office or wherever if y'all get in trouble. And that's not fair to me because I'm not the one that did it. And so I need y'all to feel how that accountability feels, you know, to each other because at some point you're probably going to be held responsible for other people's actions. And, you know, you need to be accountable for yourself so you're not the person that, you know, makes people run or messes up in a job or whatever. And and showing up's a big thing, too. Like, I try to teach them, if you have a job, because I can't stand it when someone calls in and because they just don't feel like going to work, because it puts other people out. And to me, that's just not fair. That's just a big thing for me, like self-accountability. If you have a responsibility, you show up for it. If, you, if it's class, you show up for it. If it's practice, you show up for it. If it's a job, you show up for it. If you made the commitment to do it, you show up. So it's interesting, you know, we're two co-founders who are alike in so many different ways, except one really important way, (laughs) which is one of us has to wear a bra every day and one of us doesn't. (laughs) That's true. And today I am wearing third love. It's a great day. I love third love. Also, Carly likes it because it helps you identify what your size and shape is and find styles that fits your body. Yes, it does fit my body. Uh, So third love is designed with measurements from millions of women. Their bra styles are made to fit whatever your body type is. They have over 80 bra sizes. My favorite thing about them is that they are tagless. That is scratch-free, 
no itching, it's amazing, and no slip straps. I'm wearing their t-shirt bra today, right now, and it's really comfortable and no itchy tags. Third Love knows there is a perfect bra for everyone, so right now they are offering listeners 15% off the very first order. All you have to do is go to thirdlove.com skim to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com skim for 15% off. One of the things that I think we've both struggled with as relatively new managers in our life is how to push people but not push them too far. You want to avoid burnout. People have limits and you want to protect them sometimes from themselves. Mm -hmm. What I was really just fascinated by in watching the show is you clearly push people. They look exhausted and you're like, give me push-ups. Um, <laughs> or they're literally injured, especially because you yourself hadn't necessarily done those same cheer moves because cheer mm -hmm. was just in a different state when mm -hmm. you were coming up. I'm really curious how you find the balance to push them. And not only do you do that, but rather than them showing any resentment, they're like, we don't want to disappoint Monica. We don't want to disappoint Monica. <laughs> so I'm just fascinated by how you've been able to balance that as a manager. Yeah, I'm not crazy. So I know the show looks <laughs> like it might have been a little bit crazy. I mean, the kids get to sit out if they are injured. Our athletic trainer makes the decisions on if they're able to go in or out. Oh gosh, or when you would see her on the show, I'm like, oh, no, what is she going <laughs> to find? <Yeah. laughs> oh, every time I saw her, I was like, she's going to say they can't do oh, the basket. I was like, like where is she? It's <laughs> like, Navarro needs to give them more resources. <laughs> yeah. And we have a great great staff and they're really good at having a treatment plan for every, you know, individual, whatever their their needs are. So we do take good care of the kids and we follow whatever the protocol is for each person. But my biggest thing is I don't yell. Yeah, I know they talk about Annette. She yells. <laughs> yes. But she doesn't. We're going to get to you that. Know. Yeah. <laughs> she yells, but I don't yell. I like to have a respectful conversation and speak to them the way I would want to be spoken to because I need them to still be confident in themselves and to want to want to do it for me. And so I need them to know that I care about them, but what is it that they need to do better or work on, whether it's an attitude or whether it's a skill or whether it's whatever. I try to show them compassion, but still be strong in the expectation and still be their cheerleader because I feel like that's how you get people to want to please you. They have to know that you care about them. You don't go in and just yell. People want to feel cared about. They want to make people happy if they know that there's a reward, not necessarily physically, but just even in a feeling that they get that, yes, I've exceeded that expectation. And I just feel like it's a way you talk to people and you make them feel like you care. How did you learn to be a manager like this? Where'd you, who taught I, you this? Common sense. I don't know. <laughs> I just, when I started, I was very young. I didn't know anything. I didn't, I didn't know anything about coaching. And and that's really why I used my business degree, because I was like, okay, what is, what's the ultimate goal? To win. And so I kind of started from there. Okay, let's work backwards. What do I need to do to win? And I, it was very black and white. Okay, there's a score sheet. I need to get a score. How am I going to get the score? And I really started there. But then I quickly realized, oh, there's a whole other part of coaching <laughs> That has nothing to do with yeah. a score sheet. And it's these kids that are bickering or they broke up with their boyfriend or, you know, OK, now I have to be a psychologist. I have to be an advisor. I have to be a counselor. I have to be a mother. And I didn't realize that because, you know, when you're young, you think everyone's like you. Everyone had the same upbringing. So that really opened my eyes to, OK, I need to learn myself. I've learned to be more empathetic and really try to put myself in other people's shoes and think about how they might feel. Because, you know, a lot of people, they don't want to hear 
they want to just like think about what they're going to say back as the response instead of actually hearing what is being said. The thing that I just keep coming back to is how do you balance caring so much about these kids? And so many of these kids have just really come through hardship and tough times. How do you set limits? When I was watching the show, I was like, how do you not try to become a mother to each of these kids? And how do you not do that year over year over year? Yeah, I mean, and I do, which is why it's hard, Yeah, (laughs) you know, but I I try to separate the coaching part and the nurturing part. I mean, sometimes I have to mat talk myself because it's hard. Let's let's give us some monica. You know, just like (laughs) to separate the feelings of I'm going to break this kid's heart because I'm not going to put him on mat. And I love this kid more than anything. And I know what they've overcome. You think about that, but you know that they don't have the skills that this other person does. And that's where it really, you know, pulls at your heartstrings. And that's where I have to like, okay, Monica, you can do this. It's fine. Just separate it. Just separate it. Just separate it. And I do. I always try to still circle back around and make sure they know, like, you're still good. You're still good enough. It's just that, you know, right now, it's not your time. Yeah. We see your kids on the show. Mm-hmm. We see your husband. Are they as into the team and mm-hmm. part of that? Or is it when separate. you go home, you're yeah. totally separate and that's the way you disconnect? No, no. I mean, they've, they've been my biggest cheerleaders for me. So, I mean, I've done this since before my kids were born. So this is all they know. And my kids have gone to competitions since they were old enough to go and watch. They're my biggest supporters. I mean, just the other day, I mean, because we've been working so many hours trying to practice and still do the PR for this and yeah. stuff. I mean, I think I worked like a 13-hour day the other day, and my husband called, and he was like, I'll bring you food so that you can then go to the next thing you need. And he just ran in and dropped off food so I could eat while I was working. And, you know, he knows. He knows there's times when I'm going to be really stressed out, and he knows the times to not talk yeah. to me. Just like I'm just going to step back and let her decompress. So let's talk about those times mm-hmm. and Annette. Oh, okay. Who is Annette? Yes. Well, Annette is my middle name, and I don't really like my middle name. So many, many years ago— Someone decided that that would be my alter ego. <laughs> so this is your Sasha Fierce. Yes. And, yeah, mm-hmm. and so I don't like to yell. I like to have a conversation. But does, when, what does Annette feel? Does she... Annette, there's no bars held. I mean, it's all, <laughs> all out there. <laughs> what, what brings Annette out? Usually it's something big or it's a buildup where I've kind of let something go and like tried to really, you know, work it out. And they're just not quite getting it. One time I can think of off the top of my head recently, one of the guys was trying to get one of the girls, trying to make her do a basket toss that she wasn't ready mentally to do. And to me, that put someone in danger. And Annette popped right out and made sure he knew really fast that that was not acceptable. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't make an appearance very often, but when she does, it's a statement. And I think that keeps everybody in line, you know? Yeah. Are you a crier? Nope, not much, no. There are moments in the show that really pull at the heartstrings, mm-hmm. like your relationship with Morgan is, mm-hmm. is one of them. Mm-hmm. She very clearly was looking for that and needed that mm-hmm. kind of maternal figure in her life because she had had such a hard childhood. When you go home, are you just thinking about that all the time? Are you like, Morgan, come over for dinner? <laughs> or like, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? How do you kind of emotionally handle that for you? I mean, we just have such a great connection. Um, sometimes with them more than I'm with my family. So I don't have to take it home because I know she's taken care of. My phone is going off 24 hours a day. I mean, these kids, they don't sleep. They'll call me at two o'clock in the morning like I'm supposed to be awake to answer that phone call. But do you get annoyed by that? Are you like... No, I don't get annoyed okay. at all. So Never. you're not like guys' boundaries? Like, Oh, I'm... no, 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 no. Okay. No, no. It's just like my kids. If you okay. need me, call me. 
Not that I'll be awake to answer, but I usually do. I feel like there's an open enough relationship. I don't have to carry that stress because I know that if they need me, they're going to call me. These kids are part of the family. Yeah. A big aspect that I think comes across is is not just how physically taxing the season is, but emotionally as well. Mm -hmm. One thing that we at a startup really have to take care of is watching for mental health. And when when people reach that point where they're too overwhelmed or they're Mm -hmm. too burnt out, how do you encourage the team to take care of themselves? And then how do you take care of yourself as someone that's working all the time, Mm -hmm. balancing family? Have you been able to find anything that works for you? I'm not really good at balance for myself. I mean, I know I should be better at that, but I'm I I just need to get things done that need to get done. So whatever that takes, you know. But I do have summers, a few weeks in the summers off. And that's really my personal motivation. If I can just keep pushing until then, then I know I'm going to have a lot of time to decompress and just get myself back mentally where I need to be in order to start all over and do it again. And with the kids, you know, I can tell usually when they're getting too stressed out. First of all, I just try to pull them to the side and have a conversation with them, give them a hug. What do you need? We just figure something out. And Gabby was having a hard time last year. And I said, let's go to dinner. So I took her to dinner and we had a good talk and she felt a lot better afterwards. So just, it's really more of an individual thing. I can usually tell when someone's having a hard time or sometimes they'll come to me without, maybe I don't even know and they'll come to me. Do you have to be careful that you don't look like you're playing favorites? I'm sure they think I I play favorites. (laughs) I try to really spread myself out, but some kids, they come to me more. They need more from me. And so it's not necessarily me going out there and giving more to someone. It's someone that really just needs me more that's wanting that from me. And I'm, of course, going to be there wherever that's needed. What's the dynamic on the rest of the team? Obviously, there's breakout stars who are profiled mm-hmm. in the show. You know, you're doing publicity tours right now at them. It mm-hmm. sounds like you have really strong personal relationships with each of mm-hmm. them. How does the rest of the team feel? We've been asked that question a lot. First of all, when we were filming this documentary, we had zero idea that the whole world was going to watch it. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, yeah. we thought small little documentary, <laughs> just open ourselves up to the cheer community. And and we knew that they were doing home visits with certain kids. And I mean, everybody was fine with it. There was never any jealousy or mm-hmm. anything. Now that it's out, I still haven't seen any jealousy. I think everyone's just in awe that the program's getting so much exposure that they're just really happy about that. But we're learning as we go. So we, this is very, very new to us. And Do you have a Monica in your life? Who's your coach in life? Well, first of all, my family is, like I said, my biggest cheerleader. But I did have a mentor when I was starting out coaching. His name is Lewis Houston. Shout out to Lewis. Um, (laughs) I mean, I talk to him still all the time. He'll call me, check in on me. But he was a businessman. He worked for Shell Oil Company. We just really could kind of connect on how we see things and stuff. And he really, you know, took me as a young person and kind of gave me a lot of direction and advice. What's your hope for the program? My hope has always been just to continue to be successful and to make it a place where it's impactful on students. And, you know, with the show, our goal for that was really just for people to see the hard work, the athleticism of these kids, you know, because I don't think that that was really known. So I just really was hoping to, you know, see that these are true athletes, the athleticism, the grit, the determination. What I think is one of the most fascinating parts of, of all of this with cheer, and it's really emphasized in the show, is that there's no professional cheer to go mm-hmm. on to after these kids graduate. Mm-hmm. So you're right. They are 
incredible athletes mm-hmm. and, and just a caliber that's just extraordinary. How do you feel about them pushing themselves emotionally and physically, giving all their time to this, giving their body to this? Do you want them to become athletes in other sports after they leave? What do you hope that these kids get out of it? Well, I, I think anybody that's ever been in cheerleading will tell you it's cheerleading teaches you so much more than just physical things. It teaches you responsibility, self-accountability, how to work with a team, how to not give up, how to push through the hard times, how to be dedicated to something and show up when you're supposed to. There's just so many life lessons it teaches you. And I want to teach them that and more. But cheerleading is just, if you've ever done it, it's addicting. It's the feeling of just having the goal. If I could flip all day, I would flip all day. When I was young, I thought, oh, I'll I'll do this till I'm 80. Well, no, I don't I don't think that way anymore. But for some of these kids, that's where they go and just release all their problems. You know, it's where they can go and just do what makes them happy. And I think just having that goal, like this is our goal. We want to win this championship or whatever it is. And then you work so hard. And then just that feeling of achievement for pushing through. I know it sounds crazy. No, it like It's just a little trophy. It's just a little piece of metal. But it's beyond that. It's just the feeling of accomplishing something. The NCAA doesn't consider cheerleading a sport. Mm -hmm. And because of that, athletes aren't protected under their safety guidelines. Mm -hmm. Do you think that should change? The cheerleading community has safety guidelines, and they're probably way more knowledgeable about cheerleading than if it were to move over to NCAA. I'm sure that if it did, it would, they would coordinate that somehow. But I mean, there is a safety board. They go over rules all the time. I mean, our safety guidelines have changed. I've been here for a long time and I've seen them tightened up over the years. So I know based on that, the six hours you got to see, it looks very dangerous. And it is. I mean, it's it's cheerleading, but they have tightened up those safety guidelines in hopes to lessen the amount of injuries. From a management perspective, one of the things we talk about at the skim a lot is what it means to manage up. And one of the things I was really struck by was Jerry kind of learned the lesson of how to manage up. He was not put on mat. All of his friends were like, go ask her why, go ask her why. And he didn't want to be disrespectful or annoying Mm -hmm. and all the millions of excuses that we all kind of make Mm -hmm. for ourselves. When you see something like that, because you've seen enough to know he probably should have asked you and eventually he did. Mm -hmm. Why am I not getting chosen for this? Mm -hmm. Do you see your role as, as ultimately like a manager to be like, hey, you should be asking me this or wait till they come to you? Oh, no, I definitely let them know. I'm I'm very honest with them. With Jerry, and I even said it in the documentary, I felt like he was not putting himself out there. And I tell them, you know, then, then I feel like maybe you don't want it as badly as someone else or you don't have that fight in you, which makes me worried about, are you going to have that fight when it's go time? I will let them know, pull them to the side. I know I'm very honest because I've, how are they going to know? All right, we're going to move to our lightning round. Okay. It's our last segment. I feel like we should do some mat talk to get into the lightning round. <laughs> do you, you think so? Do you want to go? Oh, gosh, I don't know. Do we, we want like our, our studio audience, which is our team right now, to do some mat talk? <laughs> Guys, are you ready? Yeah. Give Monica go, some Carly, mat talk. Go, Danielle. Go. go. <laughs> that needs some work. I think we need some push-ups. We're not, we're, not, we're not known for our mat talk here. Okay. What's the first call you make when you get good news? My husband. What about bad news? My husband. <laughs> How many days till Daytona? You know what? I don't even know because I haven't slept much. It's probably 60, 70. I'm going to go with 70. Yeah, 70 sounds great. Okay. When was the last time you negotiated for yourself? It's been a while. Are you going to negotiate now that the show is such a success? (laughs) 
We hope so. Do it. I, I'm, I'm working on that. Do it. Do it. We want to see Monica's All Star Gym. Yeah, coming soon. Yeah. We want a line of Monica. Yeah. Leisure. We want... What's your biggest vice? Ooh, I don't know. Like when you, I, I wanted to ask this: when you get home from a bad day at practice, or when you guys lose. Are you Maybe like Danielle? Well, no, 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 it, it happens. Yeah, it has happened. happened one time. No, a few, um, but <laughs> uh, do you? Are you like give me that bottle of wine? Are you like where's the chocolate, chips and salsa? Okay, yeah, I don't drink alcohol really. I mean, maybe every once in a while, but more so just because I'm old and I, if I drink too much, I don't like the way I feel the next day. And then I've also gotten so old that I'm like. Dang, do I want to eat that cookie or do I want to drink those <laughs> calories? And I'm like, I always choose the cookie over the calories. Okay. Do you have any pre-tournament rituals that are your good luck terms? We're very superstitious. And we, we are do. too. It's yeah. just why, like, I really like the knuckling in the water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally I mean, we, respect that. We have. I mean, it gets ridiculous sometimes. All the things that they'll do before. But like right before they hit the stage in Daytona, are you like I knocking always on pray. Okay. I always pray. If there's been times I've gone out to the elevator, I'm like, oh my god, I didn't do it. I need to run back in and you would do, do my right prayer. Yeah, yeah, you know. So I'm like, I got to do yeah. that, and then I just take a deep breath, and then I just walk away. I don't want to be near them. I just because I get nervous, and I don't want to let that ooze out into them. Biggest pet peeve: not being accountable for your actions, not owning it. Season two? We're just happy to be here. <laughs> We're just happy to be here. Will you let us try out for... Yes. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Do you think that I, with no experience, could do a basket? Yeah. No. So, you know, we just taught someone um, Why? Why is the other no? day. You have, like, back issues. No, but You would I, be the first I one with to the right be, like... Stunters, I would be fine in the right coach. We can teach fine. anybody anything. Thank you so much. I look forward to seeing you. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Ma. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for hanging out with us. Join us next week for another episode of Skim from the Couch. And if you can't wait until then, subscribe to our daily email newsletter that gives you all the important news and information you need to start your day. Sign up at theskim.com. That's the S-K-I-M-M dot com. Two M's for a little something extra. 